Welcome to the latest episode of Your Wealth with Gemma Dale, a podcast series designed to help you create, grow and protect your wealth. Hi and welcome to this episode of Your Wealth. I'm Gemma Dale, NAB Trades Director of SMSF and Investor Behaviour. At the beginning of this year, I spoke to Alan Oster, NAB's Chief Economist, about the outlook for the Australian property market. It was uh, had a great number of listens and people love to uh, to hear from, from Alan and from the bank about where they think the property market's going to go, what data we have. At that point, COVID wasn't really in the headlines and so, so much has changed since that conversation. Yet residential and commercial property are key indicators for the strength of the Australian economy, as well as being of great personal interest to investors and everybody else. So to help us understand where the property market has gone this year and where it's likely to go from here, Alan has kindly agreed to join us again. Alan, thanks so much for joining me. Pleasure. Thanks. So can you tell us a bit about what has changed since we spoke last? We spoke in very early February, so uh, a lot's been going on. Well, I think the short answer is the virus has changed. Um, And so what you had was uh, a view that house prices have gone up quite a lot, will probably continue to go up a bit. I think we're about 5 or 6% of that stage up. And... When we look back, basically you went essentially from about April onwards for a run, six or seven months in a row where everything went down, and then you've basically started to see things go up, um, particularly outside of Sydney and Melbourne. Um, for what it's worth, if you look at the year to December 20, i.e. where we are now, overall uh, capital city house prices are up about 1%. You know, much stronger in places like Hobart, Six, Adelaide, or Brisbane. For um, Melbourne's still down uh, about minus three, and Sydney's about plus three. Um, the other thing you'd say is the apartment market has been pretty flat, and maybe less than that in Melbourne. It's quite astonishing to give those numbers when you contemplate that. You know, so many people are out of work. So many businesses had to close. Yeah. Uh, you know, there's been so much going on, which has been what we, what you would imagine was dramatically negative for the property market. The one that stands out the most is uh, foreign students and and new arrivals. Immigration, obviously, dramatically impacted by COVID, and yet prices are holding up okay. Yeah, it's a it's a surprise to all of us. I must admit, in the middle of the year, we were getting very bearish, and we were expecting something like a ten percent fall from the middle of the year to the sort of middle of next year. I think what's sort of happened is a couple of things. If you look at the sort of drivers, unemployment, yeah, it clearly went up um, and you know, that, that is bad. Uh, also, the population growth, it's the lowest rate of population growth for 100 years. Um, rents, they're talking about the um, what we're seeing in terms of education, et cetera, in most capital cities there. Still, um, I think the other issue, though, that sort of offset those things is a couple of things. Number one, interest rates are really low. Um, they're unlikely to change for at least three years in, in the way of going up. And people are getting sort of uh, coming to the view that, do I really want to put my uh, money into a bank and get 0.1%? Or should I try and... Um, get something better on in terms of the yield by looking at property markets and you know you could well find that an early vaccine might help sentiment further. And then there's been 
new ways of working. So we're all doing Zoom these days, and that means that house prices in rural hubs have been particularly good. And so one of the things I didn't mention uh, previously was that rural uh, house prices have actually gone up quite substantially. And if you've got good internet, um, then, you know, those, those things will mean that um, where you're living, house prices are more likely to go up than if you're going into the CBD every day. And so as you get close to the CBD, I think those house prices sort of uh, are probably not going to attract the sort of premium that they used to. So overall, the interest rate, and let's get into something that might get us better than 0.1%, I think is probably um, really important. And the other thing that's now really important is the economy has done very well. Um, you know, our forecasts are much stronger than we expected. So we've only got a fall of about 1.8% during the course of this year. And we expect growth next year to be 3 3. So, you know, the outlook's stronger. The unemployment rate didn't get to 12, which we're all worried about. It's at about seven. Maybe it might get to seven and a half, but it could even be flattening out of the current level. So, all those things make us feel a little bit more encouraged about what we might see in house prices over the next four months. Are you worried about the tapering off of JobKeeper? I'd imagine JobSeeker, you're not really talking about home buyers in that category, but JobKeeper has been very beneficial for people right across the income spectrum because it wasn't really capped at the top yeah. end. Is that something you're worried about? It worries us that we don't expect to see a really strong start to next year. Um, we sort of have very strong September because you see what's happening in uh, outside of Victoria and New South Wales. And then you see the kickback that's been amazing in Melbourne in terms of the strength. Uh, and so we have a fairly strong December quarter and we've got a flat, flat-ish um, early next year where we worry about some of the um, income job keeper. Uh, is really, I think, important. The other one that's important that people don't talk so much about is they've been able to withdraw the early super in, both in April and also in July. And the data we're seeing says uh, a lot of that was spent in the shops, doing innovations, all that sort of stuff. So we do think things are probably going to be a bit softer early next year, but then, you know, it depends when the vaccine turns up. And overall, uh, we still see pretty strong growth during the course of the year. That point about superannuation withdrawals is really interesting. It was a huge topic and then it sort of tailed away. You're right, yeah. we've sort of all forgotten about it. One, not hypothesis. But it, it's, yeah, but it is driving a lot of retail. And so yeah. that's going to slow And that's going to slow other things as well. That's really interesting. Um, you know, and the longer-term implications of that are quite serious. One question I had, and I don't know what your theory is on this, is that, Given the experience we have had with COVID has been so benign, the lockdowns in Melbourne mm. have been horrendous, but in terms of actual cases and deaths, we've been incredibly privileged. You know, New Zealand's done incredibly well. A lot of Asia's done very well. Australia and New Zealand have been great. So do you anticipate a really substantial migrant response to that? I would imagine a lot of people would be like, you know what, Australia looks like a great place to live right now if you've been somewhere well, where it's been quite difficult. Well, I would think there'd be a lot of people who would look at Australia and say, wow, they've handled the virus really well. 
and then they've also not managed to absolutely kill their economy. A lot of it was government support, which is great. Um, now, I don't know when the vaccine's going to turn up, but our assumptions are that state borders, with possible exception of Western Australia, will be open by Christmas, but international borders won't be open until the end of next year. So if your time frame is 22, 23, I think you're exactly right. That people will say, I wouldn't mind living there, uh, good place to invest, good place to employ people, then that, that's, I think, very good for Australia in the medium term. In 21, I think it's a bit of a sort of bottom line. But yeah, it's, it does make Australia look a little bit worse. That's an interesting um, interesting set of numbers. You're trying to, trying to anticipate when everything's going to change has been interesting. Yeah, we, we don't know. We really don't. You, yeah, you could be that, you know, you're putting out the, um, the vaccine in March, in which case you sort of... Um, don't get as big a negative effects and people start travelling more and uh, I'm not sure that I'd be super keen to go to Europe and the UK at present or even the US, but you know, it would be, I, I would be happy to go up to places like Vietnam and maybe Japan um, and New Zealand, obviously. Yeah, there's, there's a bit of a, a sort of an Asian, pan-Asian bubble that looks really attractive uh, after what's yeah. occurred. It's, um, and you can imagine a lot of people are very aware of the numbers and would be paying close attention to them when they're trying to. Although I met a woman from Vietnam a couple of days ago, mother of one of my son's friends, who said when she first came to Australia 10 years ago, the reason she came was no one in Vietnam had ever heard of Australia. So <laughs> that was quite oh, really? Yeah, 10 years ago, never heard of it. Um, so do you see... Well, people any... forget Vietnam's like 90 million people. So it's bigger than Germany. Yeah, it's not an insignificant country, is it? It's, um, no. I was I was there 20 years ago when it was still quite closed and um, it's a beautiful mm. place to be. Do you see, do you have any kind of key risks that you're looking at closely at this point in time, understanding that your forecasts have changed quite a bit throughout this year? Look, you always worry about um, what looks like happening in Europe and you can see that the virus could force the US eventually post the uh, new administration to close down a bit. But at this stage, the honest answer is Australia's doing pretty well. Now, there are pockets that are struggling. One obvious pocket is commercial property, um, which you know a lot of us are still doing Zoom. Um, there's about 10% of the workforce has gone back into the office where in Europe it's more like you know, it could be up to 80%. Um, and so, and some of them in the US sort of never left the office. So um, if you're going to continue to use Zoom rather than working, I would think that there's probably an excess buy in office markets and I'd be also very worried about retail in CBDs because they'll be catering for people that are coming into work and those people are not coming into work. So you're buying your coffee where you're working from home. You're not buying it in CBD next to NAB or whatever building you're in. So there will be sectors that are still struggling. Um, but uh, commercial property we're looking at, but it's sort of a, something we're always worried about and it's not really going to bring the whole economy down. Well, that's interesting. Is it, you know, the wider economic effects are always something else that you worry about. One question I didn't ask you is it related to residential. Um, 
think it was called Home Builder. There's always some title attached to these mm, things. But yeah. the stimulus for the residential property sector, did you see that having a big effect? God answers no. It's not big enough. Um, you know, you're, you're really looking at uh, a construction sector that is the worst industry in our business surveys, construction is worse than general or hospitality. And that's hard to believe. So I've been a bit surprised that the, uh, the feds haven't put more emphasis on public housing. Now, I know today the Victorian government is spending a lot of money on public housing, and I think that's it's good in the sense that uh, it, it's quick. You can build this, ha- this housing in 12 to 18 months' time, so it's not like trying to build another airport. Um, and it's catering to a sector that's really in a fair bit of stress at present. So um, you know, I, I think you know, housing is still unfortunately going to be negative. Unemployment rates are still, okay, they're not as high as we feared, but they're not going to be much below 6% over a two-year period. Um, and so that sort of still makes life a bit tricky on the construction industry. That's very interesting. Um, I live in a, in a part of Sydney where there's primarily white-collar workers and you couldn't get a tradie to save your life during COVID because so many people were exhibiting that, that stay-at-home Zoom-type yeah. behaviour that you, you talked about and everyone suddenly realised, I need an office. I need someone to run some cables to the office for me so, so my internet's okay. Maybe I need to redo the kitchen and the bathroom because we're home all the time. Uh, you know, it's amazing how many people suddenly realise that their houses need a lot more investment. And so we were astonished by how much impact it was having on sort of local tradespeople and so on. But you're saying that's the sort of construction building sector, you're not seeing it. Yeah, no, that's right. So what, what we were seeing, and particularly when you look at um, people who are taking their money out of um, superannuation early, we were seeing very strong um, sales in household goods, electrical, that sort of stuff. So people were basically buying uh, a new computer, a new desk, uh, a new uh, seat to sit at the desk uh, to the extent that they could. A lot of people doing uh, renovations, so people that sell blinds or internal blinds, etc., cetera, um, they were having boom times. Now, I, I think that will slow, but that's where a lot of the money went in. And obviously also in uh, restaurants, uh, you see them in Melbourne in particular, um, everybody in the restaurant now has two rooms because you know, they count the number of people you can have per room. Um, and so there's been a lot of renovation going on. But really what I'm talking about is things like apartment buildings, um, the, the construction of more physical um, houses um, rather than the, the office price or the prices. And, and so that's still a sector that's basically overbuilt and has some issues to sort its way through, particularly in CBDs that's sitting in Melbourne. That point about being overbuilt is interesting. So that's sort of built-up supply over the last few years and not COVID-related and then COVID's really wiped out the demand? Is that what you're suggesting? That, that's, exactly, yeah, that's exactly what's happened. And so, you know, you, you're seeing, you know, well, I've heard numbers as high as 20,000 units that are vacant in CBD in Melbourne and similar sort of numbers for, Melbourne, for, for Sydney. Um, and you know, it's also, it's not great in Brisbane. So those sort of numbers are going to keep rents falling for some time, which is 
sort of a strange idea that you know, why does your house, if your house is um, getting an income by rent and rent goes down, shouldn't the value of the house go down? It should, but it's not. Presumably it's because rates are, well, essentially they're hoping that the return they'll get will be higher into the future and they'll certainly be higher than what they get if they show it into the bank. That's really interesting. I mean, we see that in equities as well and have done for some years yeah, now right. as, as interest rates have fallen, people just have to bid up prices in order to get any yield uh, and you yeah, know, they'll, right. yeah. they'll cop what they have yeah. to in order to be able to just get some income. That's right. That's right. And so they're taking more risk and hoping getting a bit more yield. Yeah, we see that all the time in the equity markets. Uh, your point about uh, people buying office chairs and so on has also been really interesting in equity markets. People have been paying very close attention to Temple and Webster and Kogan and these sorts of groups where yeah. you know, suddenly we've all realised that we needed it. I remember, again, you know, a lot of office workers around where I live, uh, you could not get a screen at Officeworks for love or money. Everyone suddenly realised they needed a screen at home and there were none to be found. That's right. So it's, it's been an interesting reaction, retail in particular. I, I would have thought in, say, March, April, where the virus hit really hard, just about everybody would have thought retail would have been awful. In fact, it's been by far the strongest part of the economy and it's still going really strong. And we're heading into a period soon where we'll have another strong period because we'll have Black Friday sales and uh, Cyber Mondays and all that sort of stuff. So uh, we'll see more of that. That's really interesting that you're saying you're still seeing retail really strong. I mean, we sort of, I, I think we well, all understand. Well, I, I think for a few months it's a seasonal issue, but I, I don't think I would uh, be expecting retail to be that strong early next year. Right. So it's a bit of pull forward of demand. I think um, we, we yeah. all understand the psychological impact as well. I'm saying that Melbourne, you know, when the lockdowns ended, people were just <laughs> shopping up a storm like it was Black Friday or yep. Boxing Day or something. And I can imagine that if you've been locked inside for months on end, the very last thing that you want to do is stay inside. You want to pop out and get yourself some nice new shoes or something. I, I think there's an element also that, you know, people had their overseas holidays cancelled. Hopefully they've got the money back and they either spend it interstate but you haven't been able to do that just up until recently. Or you just spend locally uh, on gifts for yourself, if I can put it that way. Um, and so that's kept the market going reasonably well as well. Yeah, that's really interesting. As I said, you can you can understand the psychological implications of all of that. You can you can understand. Mm -hmm. I'm pretty sure a lot of people listening have been doing it as well. Um, I think we yeah. have. There've been no holidays all year, and uh, when we finally get the opportunity, we'll love it. But um, borders closed. It's been a bit rough. Do you? I mean, I mean the, the other thing you see in retail is, you know, people are saying it's amazing that retail's up you know, 10%. Online retail's up 60%. And so a lot of people, so I think that's probably going to change permanently, not to 60% growth rates, but people have been forced to use online um, and it's worked. And so now they're more inclined to say, well, you know, if I can't get it locally, I'll just, you know, I'm not going into the CBD, I'll just go online. And, you know, I talked before about office and central business district retail being, being a problem. Um, when you look at industrial, industrial is actually doing pretty well. Uh, it's, it's still not growing, but it's not falling like uh, office and retail has been falling. And part of that story is people are buying essentially warehouses to stuff online um, 
stuff in and then deliver it from those warehouses. And, you know, it's interesting. We'll put out a business server and commercial property in a couple of days' time, uh, and that will basically show this huge differences between um, office, CBD, uh, hotels, retail, vis-a-vis uh, the industrial sector, which is in the, in the outlook for the next year and two years, it's actually up. And that's certainly not true in the office. That's incredibly interesting. Uh, you know, I think we'd heard anecdotes about that. My favourite anecdote uh, about how... So you can hear birds in the background. This is what happens when you do Zoom meetings. Um, the, uh, my favourite anecdote about this transition to online was PayPal, particularly in the US where they're going, you know, the economy is strong because of, of effectively cash handouts or checks in the US. It's checks, um, it, you know, to... to uh, huge swathes of the economy but all the same they didn't anticipate their results being as strong as they were and they were saying the reason the results are so strong despite fairly lackluster economic situation is that so many baby boomers finally trust shopping online and they have found paypal as a brand that they trust and they use it now having never used it before so i'm saying it's a demographic shift that's driving their revenues not um uh, not the fact that the economy is doing super beautifully no, that's right. Um, and, you know, online is clearly going to be very important for Australia. We think it's 10%, you know, offshore it's up to 12 to 15%. And I think, you know, we're going to end up at least there. That's quite material. So you're talking about all of these shifts and obviously there's been a, a dramatic pull forward of demand of, of certain things. And you've talked about this this shift away from the central business districts and people moving into rural areas and so on. Do you think that trend will continue? I think it will be a permanent change. It might not be as strong as it is now, but if you're sitting here and thinking about, well, if I've got good internet and I've got my laptop that's you know good enough to run these little Zoom meetings, why would I want to go in? Why, you know, I'd be quite happy if I'm in Melbourne to live in Bendigo, Ballarat, uh, Geelong, and and not commute. Um, I'd be happy if I'm in Sydney to live in the Blue Mountains. If I'm in Brisbane, I'm happy to do Noosa or the Gold Coast and things like that, and I don't have to sort of um, commute. And I can be much more effective in terms of my work um, because I don't lose an hour or two driving in and out to work all the time. And so that will, I think, create permanent changes. So I don't expect to see, at least in the next 12 to 18 months, anything much above 50% return to work in terms of the CBD. It's in, in Australia, the present is 10, and I think um, people are talking outside of Melbourne and maybe trying to get 30 to 40% back. Um, but it's going to be, I think it's going to have some important social dimensions as we go forward and affects the, the private um, property market as well. In terms of, you know, if you're living there, then you're prepared to pay more money to actually live there because you don't have to commute into town all the time. That's absolutely fascinating. And it is a question hanging over people's heads. One, um, you know, you're part of the NAB group, as am I, and, you know, the early surveys that went out to staff about how comfortable people were working from home were very, very positive. And then slowly people started saying, oh, I wouldn't mind coming back into the office. I'd like to spend some time with people. Um, and apparently that's yeah. quite typical, but no one's saying 100% and you're saying you expect that shift oh, no. to be permanent. And, and it's different because if I just use my team 
the younger people like going back into the office, those that don't have uh, kids running around them all the time and educating them from home are quite content to stay home. So I think there's a demographic impact as well. Yeah, I think if we've learned one thing this year, it's that your stage of life dramatically impacts how you're affected by these things. Um, having children That's at home definitely right. is, uh, is a real challenge and poor people in lockdown with kids, just a nightmare. But then also people who were by themselves, you know, unless you're an extraordinary yeah. introvert, that's pretty rough. Yeah, no, so, that's right. That is definitely right. So we're looking ahead. Uh, can you give me a bit of a feel for which sectors you're most positive on and which that you're least confident about as it relates to just the property sector in general in Australia? In, in terms of um, when we look at the resi property market, what we're sort of saying is we, we think that you know, the, the, the price increases are going to be larger outside of... Um, essentially Melbourne, and outside the big capital cities. Um, so we're sort of, we think Sydney uh, could well be better again, depending on what happens when you stamp duty. But, you know, you'd be looking at 5 to 7% increases um, in there. On the commercial side, um, before I go to the commercial side, on the unit side, I'm much less optimistic. Um, and, you know, I could still see um, unit prices falling 3 to 5%. In Sydney, Melbourne, and maybe a bit stronger out elsewhere, but I think the unit market is um, oversupplied because they're the markets that are effectively hit hardest by um, not having education coming. Um, in terms of commercial property, obviously industrial is doing much better. Um, the others are still an issue: um, CBD hotels, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Uh, are not great, and neither is office and resi. And as a general um, feel, I think where we're more optimistic is typically where people can go. In other words, interstate uh, is fine, uh, but if you're essentially looking particularly for uh, international travellers to help you, I think that's tough whether you're in property or whether you're in general economy. And I don't really, as I said before, don't really expect to see international travellers coming in any substantial way um, until the end of next year at the, at the earliest. And, you know, we, we, we just don't realise that, you know, we half of our growth in population was immigration um, and we've actually got net negative immigration. So we're going to, instead of growing at 1.5%, our population growth is going to be like 0.5. And the last time we had a 0.5, apparently it was 1917 when we were shipping people off to war. Um, so it's over 100 years. So they've got some important dynamics which you've sort of just got to watch. That's absolutely fascinating. Um, you mentioned one thing that I haven't asked you about and I would love your thoughts on this. I'm sorry, it's the last question. Uh, stamp duty yep. changes potentially in New South Wales. Do you mind talking me through what you think that would be, well, what the likely impact is, and also whether anyone else will pick it up? Well, I don't know. Victoria's apparently said they're not going to. Um, stand, I mean, ask an economist, they'll always tell you a flat tax is better than a, a flat in general is much better than steep 
and distorting, and that stamped you. Now, over time, um, one of the big issues has always been, well, it's going to cost you a lot temporarily. So the ACT's got it, but they have like a grandfathering system, whereas the Sydney system, to the extent it gets adopted, and it's not adopted yet, it's out for consultation, I think, for March, would be that you could opt in or opt out, depending on which one you wanted to do. Now, what that would do would put a huge hole in government revenue for three to four years and gradually, over time, um, essentially be neutral. But, you know, I've heard estimates uh, from the budget that they talked about of up to $11 billion of additional money being available because they're not paying stamp in the short term. So it's sort of a, a very interesting dynamic as you go forward. And I'm assuming that they've got some sort of cap, and I'm told that they do, but I don't know what level it is, on the size of the house price where you're not allowed to go to um, property tax because it'd be 100 before you get the money back. Um, so there's that element. But, you know, you, you could basically see a lot of people inclined to um, move more often and easier to get into. Now, whether it ends up just increasing the price is a different issue, but it certainly would be a stimulus to the local economy because you wouldn't be paying the government anywhere near as much tax in the short term. That's a really valuable perspective. I think it's um, it's one of those topics that gets bandied around a fair bit. Um, yeah, but for the average person, anticipating what the potential implications are is quite it's quite challenging. <laughs> Even the government yeah. maybe doesn't know. And uh, and because it's such an enormous amount of money, having paid it myself mm. uh, more than yeah. once, it's um, to imagine a world without stamp duty is quite interesting. Yeah, it's it's very different to what you would expect, and, and you know people would never say that you could afford it in a big capital city. And this time, I think New South Wales government's taken the uh, the attitude, well, we've got such a big deficit, it doesn't matter anyway, so we might as well have a bigger deficit, and who cares? Throw <laughs> caution to the wind. Work. It's COVID year. Why not? Go for it. Yeah, why not? Alan, you and your wider team produce some amazing research and content. You've already mentioned the business surveys that you do. Uh, you know, you go out to the property market. One thing that people forget when I talk to a bank economist about property is there is not a lot banks don't know about the value of property in Australia. We get a lot no, of research no. and a lot of data and, uh, and you guys have access to all of that. So how do people keep up to date with what you're working on? Well, I think uh, we're starting to do a lot of podcasts that are sort of public, so we can look at that. And one thing that we we do put out our quarterly resi property survey, which has got our forecast in it. But I think more generally, one of the ambitions we're going to have from now on is try to do something each month. And one of the initiatives, I should be careful so that I don't give opposition uh, free kicks, but, you know, we might set up a survey of all our valuers um, and publish that monthly, something along those sort of lines, to try and keep people more informed, particularly from a property perspective. If you're just talking about the general economy, um, I'd put out, I'd say, right, have a look at our business survey that on the second Tuesday of every month. The market, the professionals all look at it a lot, and we put our forecast out on the, uh, the next day, so the second Wednesday of the month, where we review all our forecasts. 
Alan, thank you so much. I'll put some links in the notes for everybody because uh, it's an amazing wealth of data and it's very interesting if you wish to follow it. Alan Oster from NAB Economics, thank you so much for joining me. Thanks. Thank you so much for listening. Also, as always, we love hearing from you. We do get requests about the property market and some views on it, which is why we are talking to Alan again today. We love your feedback. We love getting your questions. So please just email us at yourwealth at nab.com.au. And I look forward to speaking to you again soon. I'm Gemma Dale. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening to Your Wealth with Gemma Dale. To stay up to date, please subscribe to this podcast series or email us at yourwealth.com at nab.com.au. Please note that any advice provided in this podcast has been prepared without taking into account your objectives, financial circumstances or needs. Before acting, you should consider the appropriateness of the information. To find out more, please visit nab.com.au.